Ah. <laughs> Bila say na don't reach oh. Make na listen. Well, well. Simple. Two prisoners whose cells adjoin communicate with each other by knocking on the wall. The wall is the thing which separates them, but it's also the means of how they communicate. Every separation is a link. In a village boys, we explore the separation of the black culture because we understand that by bringing it to light, we will recreate links that will eventually unite us all back together. Let me make a quick introduction for our guest. On this episode, we have a very, 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 very special guest. Her name is Mrs. Karonga. She's a mother, woman of strong faith, who is an economic economist at the United Nations Economic Commissions for Africa, Ethiopia. So just by that, you already know it's going to be an amazing conversation. Mrs. Karonga is extremely, extremely educated. She has a big heart for what she does and, and be able to provide support and, and, and be able to help Africa improve and develop in different ways. So in the episode, we touch on women empowerment and well dom- and male dominated in a male dominated industry. We talk about the importance of educating the diaspora to um, invest back in Africa to help improve situations out there. We also talk about you know some of the causes of the low economic output and situations in different countries in Africa. I mean, we talk about a lot. So you guys are going to be in for a treat and uh, take a listen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the village. The typical village boy, Chukwemeka. And it's your other village boy, Victor Soko Sado. And we're not even going to waste any time. I'm, I'm already excited to have this conversation. We are speaking with a lovely, lovely lady. I, I can already feel the energy already. Um, she, I can feel that she's going to be an amazing guest, an amazing woman already. Yes. Mrs. Karonga. Am, am I saying that correctly, by the way? Yes, you are. Okay. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, and you are the mother to Victor's friend, correct? Yes. Yes, I'm the mother to Terence. That's Victor's friend. But I'm also a mother to, I have two kids of my own, Terence and uh, Tafazwa. But I also adopted my, my late sister's children, four of them. So makes me a mother of six, I think. Six. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Mother of many, mother of many. And mother I, of many, yes. Yeah, and I met Miss Karonga two weeks ago because I, went to Terrence's house. We had dinner and she's a awesome woman. She treated me like her own son as well, like most African mothers do. So, yeah. so I'm excited to get her on the show as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of just having that African connection is like, you know, everybody is family, you know, yeah, it, for sure. you give, your family, for sure. For sure. no matter if you're from North, South, East, West, you know, <laughs> family at the end of the day. So yeah. I have two more kids now. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And and I think it would be a fascinating interview because obviously Ms. Karunga works for the United Nations and she's very well versed. She's been in in that space for a long time. And I think our viewers will really learn a lot from her experience, her journey, and just her knowledge in about Africa and her life story. So absolutely. And Ms. Karunga, I was also excited too because um to talk to you, it's we we may have some similarities, I guess, because my mom was a diplomat for Nigeria. Okay. So right. we got to we got to travel to I grew up in Switzerland. I lived okay. in Korea, here, Canada. My mom has been everywhere. So, you know, when it comes right. to politics and things like that, she's extremely inundated with that. And so when Victor told me you worked for the UN, I was like, that may not be similar, but I feel like they're yeah. they kind of like cross paths on some level. Yeah, you know, and uh, and I think that's I think that's awesome. So I was really excited to talk to you. No, it's true. I mean, traveling is another way of learning. So you are right, and that makes you a global citizen. Actually, you know, <laughs> so that's good for you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And 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 you know, when I growing up, that's one thing I noticed that, in a way, like I noticed was different between me and my friends was I was able to look at things from like a global perspective, right? Sure. Like I would think about different countries and places that I've lived in, and be able to. Um, 
my my thoughts were just different. My perspective was different, right? Sure. And I think which made me more open to connecting with more people and just That's thinking cool. more broadly, right? That's cool. um, yeah. So so I'm curious, were you able to travel with your children too, or were they kind of like just centralized in the place? Um, I travel with some of them. Uh, actually, mine was a, a, um, a funny one because I I came to US. Okay. And um, and it took us a little while for my kids to and myself to be connected. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then I got a job to go back to Africa, work for United Nations Economic Commission for Africa in, in Ethiopia. And okay. then we connected at that time and we traveled a little bit. But then they had to come to U.S. Uh, and Canada, respectively, for their um, universities. So, yeah. 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 Wow. That's awesome. Ethiopia. Yeah. Ethiopia. Man, I feel like I'm gonna have so many questions for you. Like I'm just curious. About <laughs> I just gonna okay, have to- shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. guess before I say anything, these are my personal views, not yes. of you. And uh, of course, I'm influenced with my environment and including mm-hmm. my work. But these are my personal views. I just want people to know that. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So, how would you describe working for the UN? Okay. Um, I think it's exciting. Um, it, uh, it gives you, just like you, a, a global perspective. Mm-hmm. You get to uh, look at an issue, analyze it, and, and give advice or policy advice based on, um, on figures, on facts. So you, 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 if you are advising or whatever you're doing, it's informed based on, you know, on numbers, on, on research. So you're not just talking from, from out, of, you know, out of the air. And it experiences as well, because we have mm-hmm. also experience to draw from and, and what other people are doing, because as people say, there's nothing new in this world. So, mm-hmm. so I think, and then, of course, you get to meet a lot of people. Uh, that's another way of learning. We work as a team within the UN. Um, so you find that when you do a document or research, it's going to go through uh, a lot of iterations. I mean, between among team members, uh, senior colleagues, and by the time the document is finalized, going to the relevant stakeholders, you probably won't recognize it because then there's a lot of thoughts in there, so that we become uh, comprehensive in in the ways that we deliver our our results to targeted audience or member countries. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It's a lot of moving parts. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how was your journey? How did you um, how did you end up in the U.N.? Because I feel like that's like a position that a lot of people aspire to, mm-hmm. to be in. And how how was that journey um, for you to get to that position? Uh, you know, I, I actually did not plan to work on U.N. per se. I always knew that I wanted to be to work in a position where, I'm, you know, I have a global perspective. Um, my, my, my husband is late. He was an economist then, but I've always wanted to be either an economist or a doctor. And then when I realized maybe, you know, the doctor thing, you know, may not get me where I wanted. <laughs> so I, I was going to be an economist. And then, um, so when I was in this country, um, I started applying all sorts of, uh, areas, World Bank, IMF. I didn't actually think of going back to the, to the continent until one of my professors said, oh, there's a position here. And then. That's when I saw the position and I applied and I got the job. And, awesome. um, and of course, as you know, UN, is, is, I mean, I work for the secretariat. That's the UN, the secretariat. And then, of course, you have the UN agencies, which include, of yeah. course, our financial institutions like the World Bank, IMF, uh, UN agencies like UNDP. So it's one big family. So I didn't uh, go outside the, you know, what I wanted to be, actually. So yeah. I awesome. awesome. very well. Yeah. yeah. So you say you wanted to be an economist, economist right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like, cause when, when we, when we sent you the questionnaire, you mentioned that that's in a way, like part of what you're doing as well. Like you're able to yeah. in economic development. Yeah. Right. How, how were you able to like combine that? Like, did you find a way to, to combine so, that? Yeah. The- so I grew up, um, I, well, I, I, poor, if I may say so, but of course we didn't like food mm-hmm. and, um, my father died when I was three years old and I was raised with a mom, um, and in the, in the village. And I grew up, you know, going to school, you would walk maybe 10, 15 kilometers, going just one way and coming back. And we didn't, you know, I mean, there was no hardship in sense. It's just something you had to do. You know, if you have to go to the well, you go to the well, get your water. If you go to the garden to get your vegetables, you do the same thing. If you have to go to the grinding mill, the same thing. Uh, but, and then, and uh, but I always wanted to do something better. You know, I was like, at that age, I was like, isn't it something better? And I wanted to mm. do something better. I remember talking to myself, I said, God, if you give me something that would change myself and, and I changed my family. I took 
that responded when I was very young and I became curious. Isn't that something, something can be done? And so I grew up with that, wanting to do something better, something better for myself, for my family, for my communities. And, and then it kind of, I think, directed me to where I am today, actually. That's awesome. And I think for me, like from my perspective, I think there's that commonality with people that I get to like places like that of just being inquisitive and like challenging normality, like in the sense mm-hmm. of like, I feel like there's something bigger and better out there for me. And yeah. that faith and belief that you're built for something bigger. And that's why I've noticed just like studying people that have made it to high places, people that have left their mark in humanity is just that inquisitive nature and mm-hmm. it reflects on your journey so far as well. So. Yeah, I think that's important. Like I was having a conversation with a lady the other day mm-hmm. and, you know, I think her question was, what is your, like, how did you get, because I told her like all these different plans I wanted to have. And she was like, mm-hmm. what was it about you that got you to this place? Like where you just yeah. want to pursue all these different things? Or like, what's your most important quality or something like that? Yeah. And I told her, I was like, my curiosity is my mm-hmm. number one most important thing that I would attribute anything that, that I do in life will mm-hmm. be my curiosity. Right. And mm-hmm. just, just maintaining the childlike curiosity of, For sure. you know, always questioning everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Obviously you're Christian. And, and I think Jesus said this, he was like, you know, um, when you maintain like a childlike wonder, that's when you like are able to see the kingdom of heaven. Right. Yeah. That's and, true. Yeah. And that was something that always stuck to me. And I was just like, that's really interesting. So it, it just, it, it, it made me fall in love with, with curiosity to be curious for curious sake you know That's but also like learning how to create boundaries because you don't have to be curious about everything right yeah oh yes for sure for sure yeah, I agree. so to give you a real quick quick and i mean super quick uh history of the u.n so the u.n was u.n is an international organization founded in 1945 after the world war ii um, and essentially, it's committed to maintaining international peace and security, developing friendly relations among nations and promoting social progress. So what we're going to get into now is talk a little bit more about what Mrs. Koronga's role is as far as the Economic Commissions of Africa is concerned, which, by the way, it's a really, really big deal what she does. And it's an extremely impactful role that she plays in the development of Africa. So this 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 is huge. Going back to working in the UN in in um, utilizing economics, right? What would you say are some of the roles that you play? Because I know you talked about part of the things that you the the part of your dream career or what you love to do now is that you're able to provide advice. Um, and, and basically strategies for economic and social development in these different countries, right? Yes. So if I, if I may ask, like, what country specifically would you say you work with? And like, what are some of like the strategies or developmental um, ideas that, that you've been able to implement or you're trying to implement or you've thought about or you guys are working on? Like, how would you describe it? If you can, that's if that's a, even possible. That's, that, that's a huge <laughs> question, but I'll try to take it, uh, you know, bits by bits. So um, we are the Economic Commission for Africa. So that means all the African member countries are our, our customers. They are our bosses. Okay. So, and we have a mandate uh, from the UN to promote economic and social development for Africa. And that's a huge, of, as you can manage, different areas within that specific area. So within the Economic Commission for Africa, we have areas for macroeconomics, for example, we have areas for trade, we have areas for climate, we have areas for gender and equality, we have areas for, I'm just trying to go through, it's our yeah. compound is a, it's yeah. a, it's a building, so I'm going through one division by division, and yeah. we have um, an area for, I think I mentioned climate as well, um, industrialization, private sector. And the whole essence is really to make sure that when we uh, advise or do our research for a particular country, we we provide um, informed decision-making, informed policies, but based on a comprehensive nature of an economy, because I mean, economy is so many areas, right? There's economic one, there's the social one, there's the people on its its own. Um, So so, so that's what we do, but we don't work in a vacuum. We work within member countries. So of course, what we do, we have to align with the national strategies within each countries. 
And then also, not only do we work with, with the countries, we also work with regional uh, organization. Like, you know, on the continent, we have what they call the Regional Economic Commission for, uh, for Africa, which, which, which is about seven of them for each region. So we, and they also have agendas at the regional level. Uh, like I am from Zimbabwe, so Zimbabwe belongs to SADAC, and SADAC is its own, you know, strategies and priorities within that perspective. So we have to also align with that. And then we have, of course, the continental level, which is, of course, the African Union Commission. Yeah. And, and, and its uh, job is basically to, to harness all those things that is happening at the continental level and, I mean, national level and regional level, at the continental level, so that it brings that coherence. But then that's Africa, that's one continent. You have also the global agenda. Um, and because we are human and we, 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 you know, for, for, so we are also of the global perspective because all, Af all countries uh, pay their um, subscription to the United Nations. So that's why we are global uh, institutions. But then because we had to deliver at a continental level, at a country level, so that's the demarcations and then specialization within the UN where you have like, say, for example, Things of W of uh, health, for example, you know, it's WHO is doing that because they have doctors in there. If it's things of um, food, for example, if WHP for WFP mm -hmm. for that, so so it's a complex kind of network. But we have a way, a framework of how we deliver. As like we like to say in UN, deliver as one, but mm -hmm. within our 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 parameters of for us in the continent, within the African Union agenda, within the regional agendas, and within the continental, I mean, the national agenda. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And my job entails, um, um, uh, and this can be from both sides. Member, member countries, which like, let's say Zimbabwe, for example, can request to uh, economic commission, or can you come and uh, help us or support us to, to do a macroeconomic forecasting for my country? And my, I'm doing a vision 2020, for example, vision 2030. And from now onwards, I want my GDP to be here employment levels to be here. So we come in and do a macroeconomic, and macro means at a bigger level, macroeconomic analysis, what does it entail to get to, to vision 2030? If mm -hmm. they want employment level to be this much, if they want trade to go this much, then we advise. Or they can come and say, okay, um, you know, I want to see how I can uh, make my agenda sustainable, for example, because now in talk of sustainable, we're talking of green environment, among others. So we, again, look at the national agendas and where the areas they might need to realign to make sure that, you know, not only is the development agenda, you know, um, sustainable, but also inclusive. And then when we talk of inclusive, we talk of the gender perspective, the youth, for example, you know, the continent is 60% of our population yeah. is youth and, yeah. and they don't have jobs. And, and yeah. you know, it's a time bomb if you, you go with what happened in North Africa. So, so all those things, that, that's what I do. So we do, they can request and we, of course we meet their need or because of what is happening or because of our analysis, we, we can forecast what is happening and then also advise member countries. I think because of this trend, A, B, C, D, uh, this is our advice. And like I said, it's always based on forms of research that we would have done uh, on data that we would have run. And um, of course, we don't always get it right. That's why you know it's called economics. Yeah. There's no assumption. <laughs> and human beings are not predictable. But yeah, that's my job in national. That's awesome. So awesome. And I feel like that's a very, very, very complex structure. Like you're balancing so many things so at the many. same time. Do you feel like, personally, do you feel any pressure? Because like it feels we like do. you're trying to serve so many, and it's we do. Like, for lack of a better word, like so many bosses. Yes, they are so many bases because, like I said, we are UN, so we have to deliver on a sustainable development agenda, which is the SDGs. And then we work within Africa, we have to give on agenda 2063, which is the African uh, member countries agenda. And then we work with countries that want their agendas, and we have regional their own agendas. And then we don't work in isolation. So you still have to have partnership, you know, whether you're engaging America or Europe or Asia to ensure that you can deliver on your agenda because you cannot do it by yourself. And you still need some other partnership, whether it's financial or uh, technical transfers of skills, like lately because of COVID, uh, and there's not a lot of manufacturing that was happening on the continent. It's more so in terms of um, uh, of uh, manufacturer pharmaceuticals products. We are talking of transfer of skills uh, because we need to do that on the continent because of supply issues. We, we know that we couldn't get supplies when we wanted them. So all those things we have to put that in perspective. So yeah, it is um, <laughs> challenging. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated, right? Because because you talked about you you have to deliver, like you said, on a global level, on a regional level, and then on you know, uh, country level, national level, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so in, in, and within that, there's so many different, you know, aspects that go within that. And then, and I think for me, it's, it's like being able to, it's like putting all those pieces together and like finding a way to, you know, balance off of that. Right. Cause you have your regional, I think you said agendas, which I don't know how different or similar they are to like the national levels, right. Or, and how different or similar they are to like the global levels, or do they all in a way like fit on one? Um, Sometimes they align and sometimes we actually uh, offer support to make sure they align because then it will be difficult for a, a country, for example, which has its own national development agenda to report, which, and then which might be different from a, a regional one, whether it's Zimbabwe, it's different from SADC and the, or the African Union when it's Zimbabwe or the global agenda. So we, we, we try to make sure that when we give our advice, we give it in that alignment context, coordinated approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know they don't necessarily fall out of line, but you see that countries, of course, the priorities are different because of its own internal specificities at that particular time. Some countries are rich in natural resources, some are rich in human resources. So because of that, country has to make a national agenda that works. That is a comparative advantage of who they are. And they can utilize that and, and then get to the other areas where they cannot, you know, or they can have to import products from other countries. Mm-hmm. So, so, but there are underlining things that are, are, are common. For example, everybody wants to reduce poverty. Mm-hmm. So if everybody is looking towards reducing poverty, then there's that alignment. Everybody wants to make sure that the agenda is inclusive to include women, which is uh, over 50%, 50% of the population is women. So you cannot get to the... Um, achievement or attainment of your objective without women. Sure. Everyone sustainable development because we know the climatic issues, what is happening now. Yeah. So those are the underlining thread. We call them cross-cutting issues that makes it the alignment much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a couple of things to say. So like, it seems like a lot of people, majority of countries in society have tenets. They're like, okay, we want to make this better. Poverty, things of that nature. Um, you mentioned about women. So as a woman that's in a position of power and that's like, obviously you've done some great things. Africa naturally has a very patriarchal structure and like the way the society is set up. Have you seen some changes just because, and what are some things you've experienced in that field? Simply just being in a space of like, that's probably most dominated by men. It is. It is even the field that I'm in is dominated by dominated by men. Uh, and then sometimes I, I have to go to a particular country and depending on the audience, I can be in the audience of the president or a minister or uh, um, or a technical person, the level who does implementation. Because mind you, ours is policy advice and policy facilitation of implementation. We don't actually implement it in the countries. So and then, so depending on the audience, and mostly, which uh, if I, it's unfortunate, mostly men, uh, and I'm a woman, it's, um, so you face those um, barriers, so to speak, and, and, um, and um, they don't, at first, you know, appearance, the people don't take you seriously. Uh, so you have to work a little harder, uh, a little more, uh, and to know your stuff very well. And sometimes they make it even difficult. But what I found out is that actually they made me a better person because then I'm mm. more comprehensive in my analysis. Um, and then uh, and then if you are able to tell whoever your audience is, that is all for the greater good, because there's no politician or minister who doesn't want the development of their people. I mean, they, they want votes after all. So if you are able to to align what you are going to say with some of the country uh, um, agendas or country uh, objectives where they are, I think you know it, it, it gets much easier. But yeah. it doesn't change that you are a woman and you still have to just yeah do yeah, what you navigate a different <laughs> yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's women like you and my mother who have really like ingrained this view of like women are strong. You know what I'm saying, like. And because you guys have really worked in male dominated um, areas and, and, you know, not to be facetious or like to be, to say anything negative, but these are African men and oh, yeah. African men are, you <laughs> yes, know, like, no. it's, 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 it's a different breed, especially, you know, like the really, really they are strong, <laughs> very strong, you know, and, and for you, you guys, you and, and my mom be able to reach the heights that you guys were able to reach, I'm just like, my God, like, the, like I'm really, I'm really amazed and really fascinated. And I really appreciate women like you, you know, 
you know, showing like other women, like, hey, you know, you can do this, especially with, you know, in any area that you're in, you know what I'm saying? So I really. Yeah, any, I mean, it, it, I mean, I think you, you, you know, any woman can be whoever they want to be. Absolutely. Uh, it might take a little, you know, working extra hard, but I think we need to do that even so that our own children or our our daughters won't have to go through, you know, what we are going through. We have to break that ceiling, as, uh, as Hillary That's says. Sure. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, and I think, uh, I know that, you know, men, they say that they are stronger, but I want to think women are stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 I'm not <laughs> forgetting, but I think because, I mean, I don't know where this comes from. I don't know whether it comes from being a mother that you raise both girls and, 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 and boys. I'm not saying men are our children, but it yeah. gives you that <laughs> perspective and you can kind of navigate different perceptions because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 you know, it's 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 not it's almost like there's nothing new. You just know how to go past it. Mm-hmm. Makes yeah. sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. and 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 when I really sit down and think about just like a woman's disposition, just a, just women in general and how women move, like like you said, like sometimes like I really find myself like wow, like women are like, if not stronger, you know, because yeah. there's so many things that you guys can handle and do all at once that I cannot fathom. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm saying? Sure. I'm multitasking. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, right? And I, and sure. I really respect that. And you know, my fiance, she, she's a she's a strong feminist, so she definitely helps me. <laughs> Put and, the hand over. <laughs> I'm sure you're learning one or two. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm learning way between my force. By force, by force. <laughs> Absolutely. Between her and my mom, I'm, I'm, I'm always making sure. I, I always say that women, um, and I think another thing is, I think women, we know, because I mean, we, we, we know personalities. So you know when to be, how to be strong. There are sometimes you have to, your strong, your strength doesn't have to come out, you know, it can be subtle. It could be a weakness. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you can get the same results. There's times that you have to hit the, you know, the nail you know, yeah. on yeah. the head. So, yeah. so the, the, that kind of diversity in perceptions, I think, makes us who we are. I agree. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to what you said about, like, raising kids. I think women, obviously, you you birth a, a, a man, you birth a daughter. It's like you'd understand people come here with different personalities and different nuance to them. And women fully understand that because you mold this child into who they become. So I think naturally when you get older, you've dealt with so many different types of personalities. So you understand exactly what to say at the right moment or exactly the like temperament to bring to us to a situation. So that's yeah. a beautiful thing about women. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. So, so for sure, for sure. It's no secret that Africa has some of the poorest countries in the entire world. And to a lot of people that can come off as a paradox because it's also one of the most resourceful continents in the entire world as well. So the question that can come up is, why is that the case? Here's an example. Nigeria uh, has one of the highest GDPs in Africa, if not the highest GDP in Africa. And all the GDP is, is basically a measurement that tracks the economic health of a country. So Nigeria has a GDP of about 500 billion, but here's the catch. 60%, about 60% of the population is poor. And about 10 million college graduates literally have no job. So how is it that a country that has the top 30 highest GDP in the entire world has over half of their population still living in poverty? And I know that numbers don't paint the entire picture, but they help you see the picture a lot clearer. This isn't just only happening in Nigeria. It's a continent wide thing. And so there is a big issue there. It's questions like these that make, you know, people wonder like what exactly is going on like who is handling the money what's happening what's the cause of this and so that's what this next segment is going to get get into and we're going to hear what miss karunga has to say um so when it comes to like the economics of africa so obviously if you look at the gdp right of like all the nations most african like the poorest some of the poorest countries are in Africa, right? So, and it seems like that's a really massive uphill battle for yeah. for you guys, right? Like, what do you think are some of the biggest causes to why that's the case for a lot of different countries in Africa? Like, like why is there such like low 
sustainability, when it comes to economics or like just low per capita GDP, like everything is just like really low. And it, may, it breaks my heart. I'm not going to lie. It really breaks yeah, my heart. Yeah, it does. That's why, you know, you know, when I was here, uh, you know, I needed to go back home because I always felt like, you know, I mean, we can always transmit some of the things that we've learned here and work in, in on the continent. And, and I'm glad mm-hmm. I'm there. I, I will not give it for, you know, give it up for anything. Sure. Um, there, there are a couple of things. Our continent, as you know, is history. Um, you know, we went through uh, colonization mm-hmm. um, and and some can even debate that with the colonization, the, the institutional structures, they are still there because you mm-hmm. have um, countries that are still linked to their, um, you know, uh, uh, colonial nations mm-hmm. in every way, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, human resources, or even the education. Right. Um, and, and, and and even the, the structures within our countries, the roads, mostly they were built to go to the port so that they can export. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, in in, uh, in our countries like Zimbabwe, where I'm from, I mean, there was a lot of manufacturing that was happening. But you can, you know, also the strategy was, of course, you know, our colonials at that time, they wanted to stay. And so uh, it was not like in West Africa, where they were just extracting raw materials and then staying somewhere else because of, I mean, the, the story goes, uh, among others, was mosquitoes. They, they didn't give them a lot of uh, <laughs> peace there. But <laughs> so they, and that's why in West Africa, they had to do sort of like ethnic or uh, tribal uh, ruling so that you, you are ruled by your chief. Whereas for us, they just took over. Mm, and, and, and that's why they educated us, because they wanted a, a laborer who could speak English with them because they were going to stay. So the infrastructure in Southern Africa, you see that it's slightly different because they were staying, so they do a little bit of permanent structures, uh, oh, wow. the manufacturing hubs and so that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, but, but and then when independence came, and I'm talking in general, of course, every country is different. And when independence came, however, way some of us from Zimbabwe, we had to fight for it. And, and we took over those structures um, in Zimbabwe, we did a little bit of that, some internalization of, okay, this is what we are taking, what does it mean to us? So I don't know whether in, on the continent we've ever been able to articulate our agendas. And if we did, did we implement them? Because mm. now, I mean, a lot of our countries on the continent, they have a lot of good agendas, but we don't implement things. Mm. And then also another thing is to implement any agenda, it needs finances. And for some reason, I don't know whether it's because of the colonial mindset or something, we're still begging. And we don't think that, you know, we can, we are enough, we don't have confidence enough, so we are enough to do what we can do. Mm-hmm. I've always said, it's still an example, like you, you uh, Victor, and your brother here. Mm-hmm. I know you, 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 you like each other very much, and if your brother asks you for money here, you're going to give him money, but you're not going to give him enough money so that you go after, you go beyond you. I mean, it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Or to the point that you, you give all your brother, all you have in your list without no bread. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing. Even if you are asking development partners to help you, I mean, they're not going to give you everything to the point that they don't have so that you can do better. No, we have to internalize that ourselves. And mm-hmm. a typical example is what happened during the COVID when we were, it's a continent that is importing about 75% of pharmaceuticals, okay? And we have the highest disease burden in the, in the globally. And, and this is amounting to about 14.5 billion on an annual basis, right? And we say we don't have money. And now COVID comes, countries in essential, I'm not saying it's good, but essentially they're trying to look at themselves first. Because, you know, before you, you know, take care of somebody, you know, and then we didn't have anything on the continent. Up to now, we still, in terms of vaccines, we are still struggling. So these are some of the things we need to, you know, internalize to see, okay, now we have these agendas. What do we need to do? How can we get financial economic? Africa, you know, we have so much resources. I mean, and there's so many innovative ways of resources now, including like our pensions. I mean, why uh, why can't we do that? Why can't we have government bonds, for example? So there's so many innovative ways we can finance our agenda. Tax, for example, if we can just get our people to, to if we can collect taxes, for example, of course, people need to make sure that we are, from a government point of view, the, yeah. the money is going to something that is uh, good. Because yeah, a lot of sure. yeah, yeah. And then we can finance our own agenda or even just sometimes minimizing our expenses. Some of the expenses that... Um, our, our our governments do we don't need to incur that or we can we can we can you know sometimes combine you know uh, agendas so there's so many things that is happening but I think if you want to boil down to one thing um, the root problem probably I don't know our mindset mm. yeah so I, I have a couple of points to make so I think you made a phenomenal point in terms of like a lot of times we have these ideas but implementation is key because I've mm. always said like. It's one thing to intellectualize something and have all these theories, but growth doesn't necessarily come with ideas. Growth comes with actual implementation and actual 
intentional action. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times that's where in Africa we have all these good thoughts and we want to do this and we want to do that, but it just stays as thoughts. There's no actual action that flows into actually making it a reality. And also you made a point about like, um, just internalizing things in our growth mindset. And I think that's one of those things where Africa, a lot of times we've, they take things away from us. And because of that nature, we feel like we have to constantly be working hand in hand with people from other countries in the sense where we have all the resources in our countries to actually build our countries up. You know what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say? So I think there's that sense where we have to also look inside and figure out ways to like implement things in our societies where we don't have to wait for another country to to help us and stuff. And with taxes as well, I think there's this nature, there's this sense where people think taxes are inherently evil, but taxes are are necessary for cohesive society. Taxes pay for infrastructure, they pay for roads, they pay for schools, they pay for different things. And sometimes in Africa, we think like taxes because of corruption, because we know our governments are corrupt. So we think they're just taking away our money. So it's a it's a mixture of like restructuring government to a way where people actually believe in government first. Yes. Yes. Before we can start like advocating for things like taxes as well. True, true. And but you see, the problem is so we cannot do a stepwise approach that we need to do ABCD. We need to do a multi pronged approach because we don't have a lot of time, not because something's going to happen or something. If we've been stuck in this uh, space for a while and we need to get out of it. For sure. Okay. So we need to have a multi you know, pronged approach in different areas. Okay, I said before when I said there's nothing new on this continent. So, I mean, we can learn from best, you know, I mean, in this world, we can learn from best practice. We can leverage our development with technology. We see what technology, you and I, we are doing this this meeting over over the internet. So Mm -hmm. we can leverage on technology. Um, And we can leverage on a couple, for implementation, you need, you know, a couple of things, but essentially three things, right? You need um, the, the human resources, which is the people. And we might not have all of the people on the continent, but we have a lot of diaspora. If we can leverage on diaspora, uh, create an enabling environment for them, they can contribute. If for financial financial resources, like I said, there's so many innovative ways we can, you know, we can um, we, we we can finance our agenda, including you know taxes or or, or or resources. Or I mean, we can we need to add value to our resources actually to start with, uh, or our innovative ways, pension, name it, whatever. And then of course you need the you know whether it's the land. We can't even talk of the land. The land we have it on the continent. So I think we have it, and and and, and we can tie this all to the of course it, it plays a part of our colonial heritage and the structures or something but to me i think the fundamental thing is the man in the the man in the mirror you and i you know the mental our mental you know mindset we need to have confidence that we can do it absolutely you yeah. know i mean we and we and we need to be honest uh, with my conversation with myself and my brother and my sister next door and to say that we agree on something let's do it you know let's 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 commit you know, to, to, to that kind of leadership. We want a, a leadership or we want people who are transformative, people who do it for your, your brother, for your family, for your community, for the country. Um, and, and we, for a while, we've been a lot, you know, we've been, we've been selfish. Mm. And, and even not even selfish in any, because, you know, human beings, you know, like um, from an economic point of view, we call that we are we are all profit profit maximizing. That means I'll do something that is good for me. Absolutely. But so if something is good for me, if for Victor and yourself to have also a job so that I don't give you my money, I'm gonna do it, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know that if you have your job, you're not gonna come to me and ask. Mm-hmm. So then you you find even our thinking cap. It's all about our thinking cap. It doesn't even make sense. We are not following any logical way of thinking. Yeah. Because if if I you know because. I, I can make money myself and I can secure my, my house with a big wall and among other things, security. And then the man next door is not, is not eating. You know, he's going to try and uh, break through. Yeah. He's going to come after you. Yeah. So if I'm smart enough, that's something, if I'm smart enough taking care of me, I should want to make sure this person is also taken care of one way or another. If I can I help agree. so that he can be independent, he can leave me alone. Yeah. So this is why I'm saying our thinking is, is, is impaired really. Yeah, I agree. And I think you made a great point. I think, advocating for more of a communal society is important because even back in like, like pre prehistoric times, that's what mm-hmm. got humanity to a new place and evolution and everything that happened with that. But I think there's this individualistic pres- self-preservation perspective where it's like, as long as I get mine, I don't care what anybody else has. And in mm-hmm. reality, like you said, if the person down the block is hungry and he's 
hungry people don't stay hungry for a long time. They're going to come yeah. after you. So, and I, and I think it's just the right thing to do to either go for more of a communal society. And that pushes humanity to a better place in general. And mm-hmm. there's this perspective where it's like, okay, as long as I get mine, that's it. No one else matters. And I think a lot of times, a lot of things in society flow off that perspective. Yeah. I think, I don't think that perspective, I think that perspective is incomplete, right? Because yes. kind of like what Ms. Karonga is saying is like, you have to be selfish to be able to be selfless to me, mm. right? Like for you to really make an impact to other people, you got to make sure that you take care of your own self, mm. right? And then impact. But I think people operate on, on that incomplete perspective of like, okay, like I got my own stuff. I'm good now. You know, like I don't need to help anybody. <laughs> but we need to complete that. Yeah. Okay. Now that I have my own stuff, now I need to find ways to make sure other people have their own stuff. I agree. And that's why the disparity of wealth in Africa is so like crazy. Like in Nigeria, just even growing up, I was having a conversation with one of my friends. You, it's so easy to to like see a complex or estate with like really nice houses and really nice cars. Then yeah. you go out, step outside of the estate and you're in poverty. So yeah. it's just like, it's a very like sobering yeah. thing because when I went back to Nigeria, I'm just like, this, this isn't right. You know what I'm trying to say? Like these yeah. people are like a couple blocks away from each other, but they live yeah. completely different lives. And yeah. have you seen that, you know, the roads to go to that nice places or beautiful houses, it might be yeah. full of potholes and none of yes. those rich folks, you know, have, uh, uh, you know, some sense of community to say, uh, let's try to support For whether sure. it's the municipality or the government. Because, I mean, sometimes, you know, when our there's gaps in our government, you have to support them. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's your car anyway. We're going to go to those portals. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and going going back to the to the topic of the diaspora, right? Because um, I think that's such an important conversation. And and you said we have a lot of diaspora. Like, and when we really think about it, we have diaspora here in America, in Europe, in mm-hmm. South America, mm-hmm. in so many different places, in yeah. different parts of India sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, but I think that they've been those people outside of Africa have been conditioned to believing that they're not from Africa. So like, it's almost like, how do you, how do you can, like, how do you help them realize like education? Yeah. Okay. Education. And, uh, you know, I I don't know how other people take it, but I think it's important. You you might have, you know, I always tell this to my even to my children: don't have an identity crisis. You know, <laughs> um, and a lot of people don't have a lot of identity crisis, and sometimes it's only our our brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think you know it's important to acknowledge who you are, mm. um, and 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 sometimes the information the, the diaspora might have is may, it might not be comprehensive enough, or they simply don't know. So I think if it's it's our duty for some of us who are on the continent and some who are here. To reach out to diaspora and you know explain you know what the continent is offering, uh, to explain you know how they can contribute with their skills because there is no if we are to harness diaspora resources there is no area or field that we we will not get an expert in that mm. and so if it's an issue that is on the continent that we don't have skills then it's surely we can harness on the diaspora mm-hmm. if it's an issue of resources whether it's finance for example again like I said we can we can always come to do something on on that mm-hmm. so I think we need to educate educate them more create clusters of uh, specific thematic areas and in that opportunity or the channel of how they can reach you know uh People on the on the on the on the continent. And let's say, for example, you know, we create medical cluster, for example, and they want to build the hospitals in in Africa. So we can group them together, and they come up with their strategy. What do they want? Um, and they want to to do this. Whether is it in Ghana or is it in Nigeria? Okay, then we, you know, create that platform for them. We we create the links with the government or whoever is necessary. And facilitate that processes and make sure, of course, the government, you know, creating another environment for them and and things can be done. And some of them, they even come with the money because we are diaspora who are millionaires. Mm-hmm. So they come with the money. Mm-hmm. They come with the skills, the money and probably what they want is the land. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we can provide that. We facilitate that and they do what they need to do. Yeah. If we need uh, engineers, the same thing. If we need um, uh, uh, pharmacists, whatever we need, I mean, we can do that. Yeah. And, and we can mitigate all of our issues quickly, actually. Absolutely. I think, I think, I think, and this could be like a, a an, an interesting assumption or a theory that the moment Africa as a continent starts to do well and prosper, I mm-hmm. think that's when you see a lot of people from the diaspora 
want to like either go back or then invest like oh who is responsible for making africa this you know it's, it's like, and, 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 and that's a great oh, question it's like, yeah yeah so all of us all yeah. of us you know you know the, yeah. the, the development of africa is also in your hand mm-hmm. okay uh and it's such a big continent that not one person can do it mm-hmm. so that's why i said the education needs to be done to say even you diasporans you also have a hand in the prosperity of the continent mm-hmm. because that's 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 your country and if like i say if my neighbor is not doing well and you're not doing well you know that's not sustainable mm-hmm. yeah wow this is great so switching to you for uh real quick you know we talked about you opening up a high school in zimbabwe and things of that nature right so what what about that became important to you right be wanting to uh, remember that small girl i was telling you about young in the, in the rural areas and so if i look back uh what made me who the woman i am now i think it was education um it was my belief in god it was uh my mother raising me knowing that i mean raising me ensuring that we are all hard working we're honest people so and and, and if I, and i wanted to uh, contribute to impact our communities and i was like how can i do this uh, and education you know comes naturally not because i have money in fact that's one of the reasons why the project is still you know almost like project implementation phase it's uh, it's, it's 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 money issue but now we we got that right uh now we have the land now we are doing the buildings and we are going to you know to open soon um so if 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 the desire that i i don't want just to see myself okay i want to also contribute to the person next door and 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 i want to empower that how do you empower that you know it's education you transform their mind when you transform their minds you know the action follows through and then the whole community because if you are educated and you have your own job or you 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 have your own businesses you're not only going to help yourself and the children you're going to help your mother your mother your village and and, and the whole community mm-hmm. and then it and then it, it spread out you know the country and globally so i i had to contribute to that nucleus mm-hmm. yeah Mm, that's powerful. I respect that. I it, and I love that because I actually thought about starting a school too in, in Nigeria. Um but I think I think I'm going to take a different route, but I do want to go back home and educate though. I think that that's extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's in school or something like that, but I think for me like I think it's imperative that I that I go back on some level and educate and give back. Yeah. Knowledge is power. I think it goes back. It is. Knowledge, is, knowledge is really power. Knowledge is transformational because yes. like every, just even in conversations, like you said, traveling is a form of learning um, mm-hmm. conversations we have as a part of learning, but also just, I think in society right now, there's a need for epistemology and people have all these belief systems that they don't necessarily um, have the information or education yeah. to actually validate it. And I think the more we get, to like a more educated society that pushes society in a new place in terms of politically, in terms of like um, innovation and everything that goes with that. So that's why education is important, especially in Africa, because we have a lot of resources. We just need opportunities and we need people in the right right kind of education. I agree. I agree. I definitely agree. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of fake news out there these days. Yes. yes. (laughs) Because you are finding that a lot of students that are coming out, they don't have the, the skills to meet the job market, for example, they are mm. coming out is, you know, they're all levels or degree or something, but they don't have any skill. Mm. The, the, the businessman has to train them, but mm. the school can also provide both academic and technical schools. Mm. And you can also have to provide, and of course the moral aspects, you expect the parents to do that, but the school shapes also a student, right? Mm. You know, you, you provide that moral campus as well within the school environment. You make sure it's there. Whether you know you you are believing in God, then you make sure that that morals, uh, values are imparted with students. So you, at the end of the day, you have um, for a lack of a better word, but you have a holistic student who is balanced academically, technically, and of course, you know, spiritually, mm-hmm. and then they can function better in the in the in the in the, in the society. It's absolutely, and they have the confidence because if you technically you say you know, a student like sports, for example, and you you facilitate them to the point where within the school, they've been linked to a, I don't know, a, a, a club, whether it's in Europe, they go for training, or he likes to do some solar, uh, solar stops or something, you link them to a manufacturing company, and then they've seen that. And so you're giving that confidence that it can, you're translating that 
technical skills from the school, the academic one, to the, you know, to the technical way you feed the products. And then you are also making sure the student is rounded. So mm-hmm. here you go. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying the right kind of education. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm assuming that that's all of that is what you're going to apply into this high school that you're going to. Definitely. And it's not something new. It's there. We have been doing that, but we're just not being consistent with it. Sure. And also we are not uh, teaching them. You know, you find some of our curriculum on the continent as much as they have history on it. But you find that maybe our history is still probably more a colonial kind of history. We're not teaching them who we are as a people. So you're bringing a student who's not balanced in that perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, yeah, me and Victor talk about that all the time, like in school and in especially Nigeria. Like, <laughs> our head, like we don't, I don't, I don't even remember like if I learned history. In, in, there in you school, go. You know, <laughs> sometimes in, in other curriculum, they don't even learn in your languages. You know, so you mm-hmm. don't even know your language. You don't have yeah. a, a metric level for examination for your language. So yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a mess. Yeah, it is. Wow, 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 man! This has been a pleasure, Mrs. Karanga. This is man. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. You gave us. Sure a lot of gems and and I already knew in the beginning, I was like, I know this is going to be amazing because I can just feel the energy. Yes, and, man. Uh, and I really do appreciate, we really appreciate your insight for sure. And just the amazing things that, that you, that you talked about, and you educated us on as well, you know, different part, different things about Africa. And you've given me some, some even new fire to be able to, you know, continue the work that we're doing. Cause you know, our work really is to educate the diaspora about mm. ourselves. Right. Yes. And, and, and to help, to help us understand that we're all connected on some level you know and whatever the media tries to say whatever like i want to be able to bring the real what's the truth you know what i'm saying without propaganda yeah without propaganda yes that's true conversations like these with with you you know people like you who are you know in the field doing the work i think it's so imperative so important so i know people who listen they're going to get a lot of value from this. So we really appreciate that. We appreciate well, I hope I've been able to contribute something, but uh, if I may leave you with one way, just the Africa we want or the communities that we want or the world that we want, yeah. it depends on you and I. Yes. And mm. we all have a part in that. And um, and let's do it. You know, we, yes. we'll be behind time, so to speak, and, uh, yes. and we can do it. It yes. can be done. We yes. can, I believe it. Yes, <laughs> yes, we believe it too. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank and that's you. a wrap. Okay. But I don't finish, Abi. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. This really does help engagement. It allows other people to be able to check out our awesome content. And also follow us on social media, Instagram to be specific at V-L-L-G-B-O-Y-Z. And most definitely and more importantly, we shall catch you on the next episode. Oh yeah. Vamos.